This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. going to send you up against the best. Yes, sir. You two characters are going to Top Gun. I feel the need. The need for speed. For five weeks, you're going to fly against the best fighter pilots in the world. You guys really are cowboys. I don't like you because you're unsafe. That's right. I am dangerous. The wild card. Lies by the seat of his pants. Yeah, I guess when I see something, I go right after it. It takes a lot more than just fancy flying. Gentlemen, this school is about combat. There are no points for second place. Figured it out yet? What's that? Who's the best pilot? No, I think I can figure that one out on my own. Tom Cruise, Kelly McGillis. Top Gun. Following the release of Top Gun Maverick, today we'll take a unique look back at 1986 classic Top Gun. Starring Tom Cruise as Navy pilot Maverick, Kelly McGillis as love interest Charlie, Anthony Edwards as Maverick's radar intercept officer and best friend Goose, and Val Kilmer as Maverick's rival turned friend Iceman. Top Gun was directed by the late Tony Scott and produced by Jerry Bruckheimer and Don Simpson. Joining us for this episode of Behind the Screen are the original film editors, Billy Weber and Chris Levinson, whose work involved some notable challenges as well as innovations, and they have lots of stories to share about the making of the movie. Weber and Levinson were nominated for an Academy Award for their work on Top Gun, which received a total of four nominations and won an Oscar for its love song, Take My Breath Away, which was performed by Berlin. Weber earned a second Oscar nomination for Terrence Malick's The Thin Red Line, and his collaborations with Malick also include The Tree of Life. His credits also range from Beverly Hills Cop and 48 Hours to Miss Congeniality and Warren Beatty's Bullworth. He re-teamed with Cruz on Jack Reacher, Never Go Back. Levin's honored a second Oscar nomination for Tony Scott's Crimson Tide, and his credits with Scott include Unstoppable. Today, he's perhaps best known for his more than 25-year collaboration with Tim Burton, for whom his credits include Big Fish, Sweeney Todd, and Alice in Wonderland. More recently, Levinson also returned to Top Gun, contributing to Joe Kaczynski's Maverick. Though as this podcast was recorded in April, he doesn't discuss details of the new movie in this episode. I'm Carolyn Giardina. Welcome to The Hollywood Reporter's Pine Screen. Billy and Chris, thanks so much for being here. Uh, yeah, thank you for even inviting me. Yeah, we're happy to be here. 
Well, there's a lot to talk about. So let's just jump in and start with how those flying scenes came together. In San Diego, the naval base is where the uh, planes took off from, and they flew over the water with a lot of cameras mounted on wings inside the cockpits, pointed to the back, uh, and it, it was generic footage for both the takeoff in the beginning, I think Goose's death, we used some of it, and definitely the MiG battle, which was uh, enacted over water. And then they went to northern Nevada, where there is a uh, Navy flying uh, test area of the state. And it's a big, you know, a lot of, lot of square miles and everything. And that's a Navy flying school. And that's where they shot, I guess, you know, 90% of the airplane footage. And there was a problem because when the pilots who had to do the flying read the script, they told Tony, well, wow, this reads really great. But of course, we can't do anything that's written here. And Tony said, what do you mean? And they said, well, we can't do this. We can't do what's written here. We, the planes don't do this. And so Tony called and told us what, what they told him. And we said, well, go shoot. We'll see what happens. Go shoot whatever you can. And it was incredibly boring because they, the, the cameras were on the ground and the planes were way up high in the air and they couldn't get near them because you couldn't shoot from another, from a helicopter or something because they just get blown right out of the sky. So it was boring. All the flying footage was boring. And so Tony called and we talked about it because we had just seen the first eight dailies. And we said, wow, uh, you can't get closer to the plane. Do you think there's any way that their planes can get closer to you. Like, can you find the top of the hill or something that you could shoot from and they could fly over you and stuff like that? And he said, oh, that's a good idea. Uh, we'll go drive around tomorrow. So they found a hill that they could get up to with vehicles and camera trucks and stuff like that. And they asked the pilot, they showed the pilot where they were talking about shooting from and said, could you fly right over this when, if we were up here with cameras? And the pilot said, yeah, we think so. We could probably get pretty close to that. So that's where they started to shoot a lot of the flying footage from. And that's how that's where it all got started doing that. And then tell us about putting those scenes together to tell the story. I understand a lot happened in post-production. Well, on Labor Day weekend, they had just finished shooting the bulk of the movie and Tony and Chris and I went into the cutting room for that whole weekend and went through all of the airplane dailies, looking at every foot of film. And it's probably a hundred thousand feet, Chris, don't you think? Yeah. Maybe a little more for the aerial, but close yeah, to that. Yeah. Just, and then we would go through it every time we came to a shot, that looked halfway usable, Tony would say, okay, let's use that for the scene where Cruz first gets there and he's learning how to fly these planes or, you know, he's taking his first in-the-air class stuff. And then we see another shot and we say, oh, this would be great before uh, his, the plane goes down with uh, Maverick and Goose. Or this would be great for the fight scene at the end. Or this scene would be great for another training session, stuff like that. 
And then we broke up all of that flying footage for those scenes, for all those different scenes. So we had about, I don't know, 20,000, 15 or 10 or 10,000 feet for each section of the flying scene. And we each decided who was going to cut what with not any reason of why who would cut what. It was just like, okay, I'll cut this. You cut that. You cut this. I'll cut that. Stuff like that. That's how it came about. Um, when all the aerial photography was completed, we obviously needed the dialogue from the cockpit of the fighters, of, of, uh, of all the characters, which we didn't have. So it was, a gimbal was built in Burbank. And of course, Tony broke it the first day, banging around uh, with great backlight and reflections off helmets. And, you know, we went for the visual style of it. And it all came to the cutting room, but there was no sound, um, which was shocking. So we realized, oh, well, what are we going to do with that? But we cut it in any way. We cut the footage in any way and used pieces that we thought were the most dramatic. And I recall one in particular with Tom Cruise uh, pumping his fist uh, when Maverick was elated with a the, with the kill. Either I forget which scene it was, Viper, Jester, or even the MiG battle. He was pumping his fist, uh, looking for his assistant when it was lunchtime. And uh, it was a great piece and a great moment to use it. So there was no, for the most part, there was no, we heard, okay, move left, okay, move right. You know, we heard camera directions. And Tony yeah, had the visors. The yeah, and the masks on, which, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, Bill, I think you got this call. Wasn't the studio really mad because they couldn't see Tom Cruise's face? And Yeah, happened. very mad. They were, they, but it saved us, basically saved us yeah. uh, to yeah. be able to yeah. tell the narrative. So <laughs> it was, I remember t going to Billy's room and saying, you know, we got this stuff, but there's no dialogue. I think you called Jerry and maybe there wasn't really a script yet. I'm not sure. He didn't record it. So we put that in these really great looking aerial scenes that meant nothing. And it still meant nothing. But it all looked good. <laughs> and because they were wearing masks, you were able to then create new dialogue that was written, recorded, and added to those scenes. Months later in the process, we brought the pilot into the cutting room and said, well, what could they say right here when this, is, when this action is going on? What would make sense for them to say here? And the pilots had some great uh, answers to it. Like, could we say... Is it okay if we say, let's turn right here or turn left or let's go back to the base and stuff like that? And they gave us ideas of things to say that would be believable and not sound stupid, but also help an audience know what's going on. They were very helpful. Yeah, completely. They came in a lot and did that. Uh, and, you know, the vocabulary... Now that now the term, oh, I got a MIG on my six, we all know it's behind us, but we didn't know what that meant, and nobody else did that. Right. Um, <laughs> and there was other educating language that you learned by uh, listening to it and then demonstrating it with the plane. That was the only way you knew what was happening. Say something and show it. If you didn't say it and you showed it, you didn't know what it meant. And if you said it and didn't show it, um, you didn't know yeah. what it meant either. 
So it was, you know, it's a process because then, then it's like, well, what do we really want to say here for the whole thing? You know, and it, it went through a lot of um, iterations. Tom even came in, remember, and recorded some stuff in your room. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah we used him and and all, all the pilots. They just come in casually, the actors. Um, and, and the pilots. Just, and the pilots were there a lot. Did you have a lot of footage to work with, with that process that you described? It sounded like it was pretty limited. Well, we had no footage compared to how much footage they have for the latest version. We probably had 200,000 feet for the whole movie. And that's a very low amount of footage by contemporary standards. We were on film, you remember. So now with all the digital that goes on, it costs nothing to shoot. But uh, the Kodak stock back then prohibited more, more photography. Yeah, I mean, the ground story, they didn't give Tony another camera. Remember, he had one camera. And there wasn't even that much uh, coverage. Uh, no, no. A couple of scenes were reshot, like, well, the end for one. What, three times? <laughs> the, the, one that, the one that ended in the, uh, in the club with Kelly and he put the, she puts the coin in the jukebox. Yeah, box. with the money in the jukebox. Yeah. Was it, that was originally on a carrier, that scene at the end. Did they yeah. have it and it didn't yeah. work. And, well, uh, we had we weren't bringing Kelly back at the end of the movie. Is why, right, right. And then that all changed. It went went through quite a process. In one of the endings, you're saying he wasn't reunited with Kelly at the end. No, that's right. Yeah, and it wasn't playing. And then we we shot Goose's room to make Tom likable, because remember the <laughs> sentiment was he was too arrogant, uh, which is exactly yeah. what Val Kilmer says about him the protagonist. Right. So what were some of those scenes that you reshot in order to address that issue? Oh, it was Goose's room, right? Where he says, um, he apologizes and says, I can fix this. And Right. He, I, and I think we reshot a scene with Kelly uh, where I think the scene where she pulls up or he pulls up, she pulls up behind his motorcycle in her Porsche, right? Right. And have a little argument sort of out on the street by under a tree. Yeah. And then, of course, they went to Chicago to shoot two new scenes uh, later, much, much later, almost when we were finishing the mix. The scene in the elevator and the... Uh, take love my the love, take my breath away, uh, which yeah. wasn't more than a couple of shots, I think. So at that point, basically, they wanted to um, expand the love story, it sounds like? Well, it was, the, it was the exhibitors that wanted to extend the love story. Uh, we were basically done with the movie, and they had a screening in New York for exhibitors that went very well, and a screening on the West Coast for exhibitors that went very well, and they did one in Chicago that didn't do very well. And the Chicago exhibitors came out saying, we wish there was more of a love story. Boom. We shot those two scenes. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, Tom was shooting Color of Money at the time. Um, how, how did you handle continuity or how, how did they handle continuity? So there was a reshoot scene that took place months and months later. Tom had been on Color of Money and looked different with his hair. And um, he was in a very serious mode with his acting, given how different that movie was. Kelly McGillis had had a haircut uh, and looked nothing like she did in the movie. So she wore a cap. And we wetted down Tom's hair. I think uh, supposedly he had been working out. So he got into the elevator wet and he delivered the line and we used it. And it actually, I think, led into the love scene. But uh, it was an important piece to pick up later because he closed the do- elevator door and he got kind of intimate with Kelly, the, the female lead. And we needed that moment. That's why it was a one-shot deal. Well, you mentioned the song Take My Breath Away. Um, I mean, that song obviously became iconic. It won an Oscar that year. Tell us about how they chose that song. I I think there were others that were being considered as well. (laughs) Yeah, I remember we went to Oasis after work many nights and auditioned songs with Giorgio Moroder and Harold. Harold Faltermeyer, the composer, and Giorgio Moroder, who uh handled the songs and the artists and work with jerry back and, flash dance. and it was his studio um and he yeah. actually won he actually won the oscar um right we we after work after working all day we'd go this was new to me billy might have done this on beverly hills cop but we'd go to this yeah. barrack like place in the valley and put different songs up with the scenes we had cut and and Don and Jerry and Tony and Billy and I and Harold and Giorgio would sit and listen and pick pick them, <laughs> pick the songs. Um, Tony didn't like too many of them. Remember? <laughs> I don't think he. I think he <laughs> voted. I think he voted against "Take My Breath Away." I'm not sure. He may have. I don't remember exactly. Uh, the Kenny Loggins song. Two Kenny Loggins songs. Uh, danger zone and what was the other one playing with oh the yeah boys. that's right yeah yeah and that was the volleyball scene yeah which w- the, yeah. that scene was scripted as a game a real game remember like they kept score and everything and tony shot it oh like yeah a commercial and they wanted to they were angry everybody the oh, studio man, the studio was so pissed off uh the head of production charlie mcguire he said i'm gonna fire him meaning Tony, because he spent a whole day shooting this scene. And it's like uh, one paragraph in the script. And I said to Charlie, I remember at Daly's, I said, Charlie, sometimes it says the Calgary comes over the mountain. That could take two weeks to shoot. You know, this is, uh, who knows? And then, of course, it turns out it's one of the most famous scenes in the movie. So uh, did you expect that? (laughs) 
we didn't expect it, and it was interesting to edit it too for for us because it was you know we were I I never done a commercial before yeah. or a video, and that was yeah. Tony's um, forte. People also point to the fact that this movie came out during the early days of N- MTV. Um, was that a, a conscious influence? Our last day on the movie, we had a big screening at the National Theater in Westwood for the whole studio and the producers, director. Uh, Billy and I, and um, we watched the movie and it occurred to everybody that it was full of too many songs. And we called it the MTV screening. We were driving back thinking we were done. And Jerry called us and said, you have to go back on the mix stage. We have to take some of these songs out. Uh, Literally, we were exhausted. I mean, it was our last day. But in order to do that, our mixed team of Don Mitchell, Kevin O'Connell and Rick Klein were busy on another movie. So our hours were from, I think it was midnight to six in the morning for the duration of the mix to get these songs out. Uh, But it was all well worth it. And that was the last thing we had to do. What was the toughest scene for you to unlock, Billy? There was a scene that the studio was very worried about. That was the first scene I cut on the movie. And it's when Tom and Kelly have dinner at her place. And then afterwards, he tells her about his mother. And uh, they were really nervous about Kelly in that scene. And then that was the first thing on the picture I cut, was that scene. And then I put music to it, the Otis Redding song, and... uh, it all turned out great. They were studio. It was a studio that was so worried about her. What was their concern? Oh, they were nervous that she wasn't working or something. You know, just her character wasn't working and the relationship wasn't working. But then we won them over with that scene. So, yeah, it was the first thing I caught on the movie was that. Chris, do you want to describe another scene and some recollection? Well, any of the flying scenes were always tough. The, oh yeah, the the the, the Meg and Gate the the end battle was went through so much with the pilots. Oh my God, it made no sense. Us. Yeah, it made it made no sense. Uh, but we wrestled it for months and got it right. We think, we think, we hope. <laughs> <laughs> In hindsight, seemed to be. Now, with with all of this work, do I remember correctly, Chris, that you were running behind and uh, getting the mix done was a challenge? Uh, oh, that's that screening. That was the first preview. Yeah, Billy was at Paramount. We were screening down the street from Warner Hollywood, um, and we weren't done with the mix. Fortunately, <laughs> we were, you know, half a mile away. And I think everybody left. Uh, Don, Jerry, Billy had to go to the main theater. And I think you called me when we when we started. And uh, I called mixers... you and said, "Where are you?" And you said, "We're just starting reel ten, which, which was our last reel. They had one reel left, one reel left to do, and they were just starting to mix that reel." And I said, "Well, we're just starting the Paramount logo right now." <laughs> And so that's where we're at, just to let you know. And then uh, Chris showed up in time with that reel. And uh, when it came, I didn't know literally until the reel started whether or not it was there yet. (laughs) 
No, I just told the mixers, I said, okay, we're not stopping. Just hit play <laughs> and mix it right. And um, it, they were so good. I can't even, I think I even drove the reel down Melrose to, to oh, the yeah, studio. Where was the premiere and what do you remember about the reaction? I didn't go to the premiere. You didn't go, I went to the, it was in New York. Can't remember how I went. I think I was. Oh, there. you probably had to go because you probably had to set up the sphere. That may have been it, and um, the reaction was was really big. I mean, Billy and I never knew this movie was going to be anything. In fact, I think when we first talked at your house, you asked me about the script, and I didn't think much of it, and I was honest. <laughs> And I imagine if I had said, oh, it's great, that I maybe wouldn't have been on the movie. But we, we, <laughs> it was never what it, what it, you know, these things are like lightning in a bottle. We never thought we were making the movie that it is today and how it would catch on. To this day. <laughs> does, it, does it still amaze you when people ask you questions like I am right now? <laughs> well, it's amazing when, people, when you see the people's reaction to the movie. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, even just the name. And, you know, now now people like the director of the new one, he was probably about 12 when he saw it. So, you know, it had a big impact on young people. The Navy, I don't know if you realize this, but the Navy set up recruiting tables in the lobby of theaters throughout the United States. Do you want to share any thoughts about working with Tony? We just guy that ever lived. Yeah, no, we had a great time. He was... I'm an incredibly wonderful human being. Yeah, kind and gentle and smart and funny. A wonderful, wonderful person. I'm not just saying that. I mean, he was really a sweetheart. And what about working with Jerry Bruckheimer on this one? Well, it wasn't just Jerry. It was Jerry and Don. And uh, they were two great, great producers. Uh, all they cared about was trying to make the best version of the movie that they had made the deal to make. And they, you know, and they, they didn't care how we did it. We just had to make the best version. I yeah, know their instincts, that. their instincts were always right on. And they were, they, uh, I had come from a couple other movies, but never one where producers were so um, involved. I mean, they'd come to the cutting room almost every day just to keep tabs yeah. on us and the shooting. And it was, um, it's a classic producer oversight that really, you know, was one of the reasons the movie was so successful. And very supportive. Yeah. Money was never a problem, at least that I saw. They probably kept, kept people away and um, always had good instincts. At the time after the film's initial success, was there talk of doing a sequel back then? Uh, not then. No, no, I didn't. I never heard that. I think it took a long time. I mean, yeah, it obviously it did. I mean, the studio knew how hard it was to put together and create what we ended up with. So I'd say it was years and years before they ever brought that up. And there wasn't another foot of film that was that we didn't use that we, you know, we could use. Whenever it ever came up about making another one we'd all i'd always say well what are you going to do reshoot a whole new batch of flying footage because there's nothing usable that we didn't use nothing matter of fact we probably used a couple of shots two or three times 
Um, and uh, uh, there was certainly no footage that was uh, available to use that we could still use. And so they'd have to reshoot everything over again. And they, everyone at the studio knew how hard it was to shoot what we did get and, and knew, oh, no, we're not going there again. So I was shocked when they greenlit a new one. What has it been like seeing Tom Cruise go on to become such a huge star? Well, it started right uh, right after Top Gun. <laughs> That's when it happened. And, yeah, and uh, it, you know he's 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 great. He's he deserves it. He works harder than anybody. He worked harder yeah. than anybody on that. He we did another movie with him, Days of Thunder, which never would have been made without his involvement. And he was in the cutting room with us a lot on that. He's that he's that guy that um, brings everything he can to what he's doing. What does he like to work with in the cutting room? Oh, he's great. Uh, he's he's a really hard worker and very sweet person. And uh, he, you know, you just know he's there to work. And I mean, in, a, in the best sense, he's a really hard worker. And then I worked with him again on a Jack Reacher movie, and he did the same. Just a you know really really hard worker. Yeah, it's hundred percent. Oh, Chris, I know you're not at liberty to talk about the details, but um, I know you had a little bit of involvement in Maverick. Anything you could share? Well, it was just great to be reunited with the same, a few of the same people that were on the first one, and. Uh, and to connect with, you know, the talented director, Joe Kaczynski. Uh, but it, the whole experience kind of brought back 35 years of memories, and it was all very emotional. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, sharing your stories about this iconic film. Oh, you're welcome. No, it's been a pleasure. You're welcome. Thank you. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu.